Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com. In this episode I'll be concluding our reading of Five Months at Anzac. Uh, we've come to the end and uh, it's been an interesting ride. I'm probably going to take a short pause after this episode to reconsider the project, uh, understand whether I need to take a new direction. So now's a great time to leave a review telling me what you think. It's a real opportunity to direct where this podcast goes next. Tell me if you're enjoying these readings or whether you prefer the long-form articles uh, that I write. Anything goes. Right, let's get on with chapter 27. Everything you hold for files is at stake. Chapter 27. Turks as Fighters. One cannot conclude these reminiscences without paying tribute to Abdul as a fighting man. All I know about him is in his favour. We have heard all about his atrocities and his perfidy and unspeakableness, but the men we met fought fairly and squarely, and as for atrocities, it's always well to hear the other side of the question. At the beginning of the campaign, it was commonly reported that the Turks mutilated our wounded. Now I believe that to be an unmitigated lie, probably given a start by men who had never set foot in the peninsula, or who, if they did, had taken an early opportunity of departure. We were in a position to know whether any mutilation had occurred, and I certainly saw none. I believe that similar reports were existent among the Turks regarding us, and I formed that opinion from the attitude and behaviour of one of the prisoners when I went to dress his wound. He uttered the most piteous cries, and his conduct led me to believe that he thought he was to be ill-treated. I have mentioned before the class to which most of the prisoners were, they were always most grateful for any kindness shown to them. As to their sense of fair play, when the triumph was sunk, they never fired on her, though I understand it would have been quite allowable directly the men set foot on another warship. Again, about a fortnight after the landing at Anzac, we tried to land a force at Gabatepe, but had to retire and leave our wounded. The Turks signalled us to bring them off, and then they never fired or abused the white flag. The third instance occurred on our left, when we made the advance in August. Our ambulance was under a hill, and a howitzer battery took up a position just in front. The Turk sent word that either the ambulance or the battery would have to move, otherwise they would be forced to fire on the ambulance. The shells we got on the beach could not be attributed to any disregard of the Red Cross, for they could not see the flag, and moreover, the ordnance was next to us, a thing utterly out of order but unavoidable under the circumstances. My career on the peninsula came to a close at the end of September, when I fell ill and was put on the hospital ship. The same evening, a very willing attack was put up by the Turk. One had a good and most interesting view, as one was in perfect safety. The bursting shells in the darkness were very picturesque. Prior to going off, we had often discussed the pleasure of getting between sheets and into a decent bed. How one would curl up and enjoy it. But my first night under those conditions was spent in tossing about without a wink of sleep. It was too quiet. 
being accustomed to being lulled to sleep by the noise of six-inch guns from a destroyer going over my dugout, I could now hear a pin drop and it was far too quiet. We found we were to be sent to England. Malta was no place in which to get rid of Mediterranean fever. The treatment the people of England give the Australians is handsome in the extreme. They cannot do enough to make them comfortable. Country houses are thrown open to the invalided men, perfect strangers though they are, and all are welcome. Together with Major Courtney, with whom I came over, I was taken to Lockleys in Hertfordshire. Sir Evelyn and Lady Delarue had a standing invitation at Horse Ferry Road, the Australian military headquarters, for six officers. We happened to be among the lucky ones to be included, and the kindness I received from our host and hostess will be remembered during the remainder of my life. That brings us to the end of our reading of Five Months at Anzac, a narrative of personal experiences of the officer commanding the 4th Field Ambulance, Australian Imperial Force, by Joseph Levesey Beeston, CMG, BD, LRCSI, Colonel AAMC, Late OC 4th Field Ambulance, late ADMS, New Zealand and Australian Division. I do hope you've enjoyed this reading. It's been really interesting and I found the last chapter there particularly interesting with the discussion of atrocities, uh, of which during the First World War there were many, many versions going around. And uh, interesting that Livesey Beeston just completely dismisses them, saying he never saw anything. And as an ambulance officer, if anyone had been injured or mutilated, he would have been probably one of the first to hear about it. So, uh, yeah, interesting ending there. As I mentioned before, I'm uh, evaluating what to do with this podcast going forward. It's had uh, 30,000 downloads over the last couple of years, so, you know, there's an interest there. And I'm genuinely interested to understand what that listenership uh, is interested in. So please leave a review, tell us what's going on. Uh, That will be uh, very helpful. Thanks a lot. Bye.